You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Picker, your host. And with me today is Karen Abuzaid, Commissioner General of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East. And we're talking to the Commissioner General in Gaza City. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. We're going to be discussing the medical and humanitarian issues of 4.4 million Palestinian refugees. Commissioner, could you tell us how this particular agency was founded, what its vision and function is today? We were founded by a a U.N. resolution in 1949, started working in 1950, to look after the 800,000 refugees who had fled Mandate Palestine at the time of the Arab-Israeli conflict. And we've evolved over time to be what we call a a humanitarian and human development agency, providing the very basic social services that otherwise a government would have to provide of uh, primary health care, primary education, relief social services, and more recently, a microfinance, microenterprise program. Who is your staff? My staff are 28,000 Palestine refugees themselves, who are all the teachers and doctors and nurses and engineers and so on, and about 113 international staff who are based in the five countries, as we call them, fields that we work in, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, West Bank, and Gaza. You mentioned that you work in several countries. Are there different issues in each country? Are some under more crisis than others? Yes, very much so. In the two countries that you don't hear a lot about are about the Palestine refugees, and it's because the refugees are, get along very well and are very well treated. That's Jordan and Syria. In Jordan, the refugees are mainly citizens, and uh, only about a quarter of them live in refugee camps. The rest are out in towns and villages. In uh, Syria, about a third of them live in camps, and otherwise they have all the privileges of citizens, although they are not, but they can work and go to school and university and so on. And there are a rather small proportion of a, a, a large population there. In Lebanon, there's a, it's where the refugees have had the hardest time over the years because they're in more or less closed camps and they have uh, had 73 occupations banned to them. And we weren't allowed to improve the living conditions in the camps because they're supposed to have been temporary and to go away one day. So it's only recently that the government has begun treating the refugees better in, in Lebanon. And in West Bank and Gaza, of course, we have the, the problem of the, the conflict that's been going on earlier. There was a first intifada, and now there's been a second intifada since the year 2000, up until now, really. You mentioned Lebanon. There has been increasing stress in Lebanon because of the camps themselves being under pressure. Could you describe that and how your agency is working with that? Yes. I mean, the major thing that's happened, first there was the war last year in Lebanon, which the, the camps had very little to do with except to give refuge to some Lebanese who were fleeing the fighting then. But this past year, the past summer, of course, there was uh, this small radical fundamentalist group that began a fight in a camp in northern Lebanon, and the Lebanese army came in to get rid of this group and destroyed the camp in the meanwhile. So we're just now beginning to get into the camp because of all the rubble and the disease and all the other things that were there and have to be cleared up and to be able to try to get the camp back in order. And meanwhile, we have to provide for the 31,000 refugees who fled the camp and they, we are trying to provide them temporary accommodation and rented accommodation and moving them out of the second refugee camp they moved into for the last three months. Are you any closer now to resolving that particular problem? Well, 
resolving it only in a temporary way. We have put out an appeal for $55 million just for the next 12 months to take care of these 31,000 refugees, while we then have a bigger plan with the government and the World Bank and others to rebuild the whole camp. So that's going to take a few years, actually. Could you tell me a little bit about the educational systems that you try to provide to refugees? Well, we provide an educational system that's like unto the countries in which uh, the refugees are. So we use the local curriculum. We UNRWA educates the children what we call primary education up through the ninth grade. And after that, the, the kids go off to secondary school and to the universities in whichever country they are. They do have an opportunity then to get a university education? They do. In many places uh, here, they can get, get fairly reasonable tertiary education. And there are some scholarship programs to help, especially the youth of the Lebanon in the Lebanon, because it's harder for them to find places there. So, But many of our students do very well. Education, of course, is a very important thing to any refugee, and more especially even to Palestinians, I think. I worked with refugees for 26 years and only the last seven years with Palestine refugees, and they value this extremely much. And so families will make great sacrifices to send their children to university and to graduate school. It's really part of their culture. Very much so. And they're very much valued all around, certainly this region, for their skills and their experience and their knowledge and their, you know, their hardworking people. We've used the word camps. Could you describe them really what they represent? Physically, What they represent is a kind of symbol of what refugees are, but they, as I said, only a third of the people of the refugees live in these camps, and except in Lebanon, they are just really parts of the town. You, you know, they're well built up. They started as tents and then mud huts and so on, but now they are, you know, concrete buildings. And some of them, of course, were destroyed during the Intifada or a lot of housing. And we've built new housing with money from mainly the Arab states, the Saudis and the Emiratis. And so rather nice kind of duplex-looking things that have two or three stories. And, you know, extended families can still live together and have a little bit of a garden and so on. So quite nice housing. In fact, uh, some of our donors, like the Japanese, say, well, these are rather bigger than the things that we'd be able to live in back home. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Commissioner Karen Abuzaid. The commissioner is in charge of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East, and we're discussing the humanitarian and medical problems that 4.4 million refugees are facing day to day. We're discussing what life is like in a camp. Could you tell me individually what kind of space and sanitation an individual family might have? Well, it varies, of course, and there are a lot of people whose uh, sanitation isn't great and their space is very small. We have a small program where we're trying to improve what we find among what we call the special hardship cases, who are people who can't improve their homes themselves. But we have sort of standards of when we when we can improve and have the money to do so, of how many rooms a family of what size can have. And, of course, a lot of the Palestinian families are quite large. The largest sorts of families, if there are eight or more, then they, were, they should have four rooms and the rest in proportion to that. The camps are also quite crowded because the you know, people have built onto the houses that they have so that their expanded family can live with them and so on. So you often find very little narrow alleyways and so on. Most houses do have, you know, running water, electricity, though, so in that sense they, they can manage. But you often find many children on the floor doing their studying all at once with, a, you know, in a sort of dim room that's often damp in the wintertime and so on. We've now seen four generations live in this kind of situation. Is it conceivable? that some people have never left a camp? Well, of 
course, in places like Gaza, people have, many people have never left Gaza, and it's a very small place, 14 by 26 kilometers, because it's occupied and people aren't allowed in and out easily. But what we discovered this summer, we had a wonderful program of called Summer Games, because usually we have two-week summer camps for some children. Well, this summer we tried to have a whole summer, two months' worth of summer games for 200,000 children, 192,000 children to be exact. And we had things going on for them all summer long. And at the end, we had a big marathon and brought the children to the beach to run the marathon. And in this tiny little Gaza Strip, we found children who had never seen the sea. So that is the condition here, even in a very small, crowded place like Gaza. Why don't they have the access to the sea? You could almost walk to the sea. Yes, you could walk to the sea, and, and most people do. And this is a, the beaches in the summertime are just filled with families and children and so on. But some people live in conditions where they just don't move out. They don't get out. They're in you know, pretty miserable places in, in the, the kind of worst areas of the Gaza City, actually. What is the health care like being provided by UNRWA? Well, we provide mainly primary health care. And over the years, we have achieved quite a lot of success of almost 100% vaccination of the children, eliminated communicable diseases. And we have a good record in what, what we're able to do in, in that respect. What we're finding now, of course, so the development of what we call the lifestyle diseases, where more and more people are showing up with diabetes and high blood pressure and so on. So a lot of these things are bigger problems for us in order to have the medicines that are needed by a great number of people and that they need to take for the rest of their lives, as it were. Is there an opportunity to get tertiary care, and where would you go for it? Ona operates only one hospital, and that's a small hospital on the West Bank. So our tertiary care is provided by, well, some NGO hospitals, private hospitals, but mostly the government hospitals. So our people go to many of these places there. Around the Jerusalem area, we had contracts with about six private hospitals, mostly by the Lutherans or other religious groups. But uh, now, because of the the wall that's been built on the West Bank, many people can't get to these hospitals. So we have set up mobile clinics, which is something new for us to be able to move around to get to people because people can't get to the clinics themselves. Is Israel involved in any way in providing health care to the Palestinians? No, no, not at all. One thinks that this is a way to somehow bring two countries together. The peace process and providing health care are interconnected, and one wonders if there couldn't be some effect driving this problem towards a solution, starting with health care. Well, in fact, that that is one of the areas where you will find still Palestinians and Israelis meeting and getting together, especially once the Intifada started. There was a lot of disaffection between the two groups, of course, and people didn't want to do things together. But they, they still do have exchanges of doctors, and certainly, well, I, I must say that, of course, uh, some serious medical care is provided by Israeli hospitals and so on. Now the Palestinians go to Israeli hospitals for health care. So health care, sports are things where people still get together in some ways and maybe we'll begin to again as things we hope develop more toward a peace process, particularly now with the cooperation between the West Bank and the Palestinian Authority and the Israeli government. You mentioned microfinance. Could you tell me a little bit how that plays into life for refugees? Yes, that's, it's a program that's won several awards. It started in the early 90s, only in West Bank and Gaza. It's in the last couple of years expanded to uh, Jordan and Syria. In Syria, where they didn't even have a proper banking system, and it's been 
extremely successful in all places. It's uh, totally self-financing. It takes care of itself with the interest that it charges and so on. And it works with actually small businesses. It, it's not a, a charity handout for to start uh, microfinance, but it's a real microfinance microenterprise program. It's given out 14 years of work, about $130 million in loans, and they're almost all paid back. And it's it's quite an exciting and wonderful program for people to take care of themselves. Right now, is there difficulty paying back some of these loans just because of what's happening to the economy? Especially with Gaza. But people are quite responsible. They they don't take the loans if they know they can't pay them back. And we have, for the women especially, what we call solidarity group loan lending programs where we get the women together to guarantee each other's loans, and that has worked pretty well in Gaza. But there has been there is a problem in Gaza right now, but mainly because Gaza is so cut off right now and the whole economy is really collapsing. Uh, just since June, for example, 3,000 businesses have gone out of business and another 70,000 people are unemployed in addition to all those who've been unemployed since the beginning of the Intifada, the people who used to work in Israel. Well, I'd like to thank Karen Abu Zaid, Commissioner General of UNRWA. We've been discussing medical and humanitarian issues for 4.4 million Palestinian refugees. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.